I think a, an important fundamental step for any leader is to become super clear about what is the higher purpose. And now. I'm the captain now. Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here today. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 147 of the Chris and Christine Show. Ah, good old fantastic. It is Monday as we record this. How has your Monday been, baby? Uh, It's been a little bit of a crazy busy day. I Mondays now I work in the office. So I had to get up really early and drive into the office and it normally just takes like 30 minutes, but it took me almost an hour because of traffic today. Uh, what time of day are you talking when the traffic really hit in hard? Really hit in hard. You're like radio DJ Chris in the house. Well, I'm wearing the podcasting audio t-shirt. So. I know. Um, I was, I left the house at 720 this morning and then I finally got to work at 810, 815 ish um but tomorrow oh, tomorrow i have to drive all the way up to riverside county for work no way what time are you leaving um i need to look at my i need to look at the address and clock it out but my meeting starts at nine so i'm pretty sure i'll be on the road like 6 30 or 7 oh my gosh yeah what a pain right i'm so sorry you, you know driving wake up early and driving that far and commuting i know like I mean, everybody's ultimate dream job is to work from home, especially me and you. <laughs> not we all, everybody's every, dream everybody, job. Well, gas prices are $7 a gallon. It's not everybody's dream job, but, you know, it definitely would be nice to... Well, I am technically supposed to work from home four days a work a week. Actually, I work, quote unquote, remotely. Well, tomorrow remotely includes driving all the way up to Riverside County. Yeah, that's pretty far. So it's almost... Uh, Riverside's about the same distance going to Los Angeles, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I have to drive to Murrieta, so just north of Temecula. Oh, I know exactly where that is. Yeah, when you go up to uh, Temecula, it makes that split from the 215 and the 15. I think you go 215, that takes you in Murrieta, I believe, somewhere in that area. Yeah, it's right around in that area. And so it's just a few miles north of Temecula. But I mean, fortunately, knock on wood, I'll be going the opposite direction of traffic. Yeah, because everybody lives up there. They all buy houses up in that whole Marietta Riverside area because houses were a lot cheaper then, you know, there than they are here in San Diego. So what people do is they will buy houses up there and they'll commute to either Los Angeles or to San Diego. It's almost the same distance. Right. They'll either come south or they'll head west or they'll head north, but very little of them stay put. (laughs) Yeah, there are businesses in Temecula, like there's this whole stretch off the, uh, when you dump down into the uh, valley there, you go up over the hill, you dump down, there is this whole business complex to the left and a little bit to the right. There are the basic stuff like the stores and the car dealerships and that kind of stuff, but there are some actual like businesses out there. Yeah, because it is a big city. So of course there's places for people to work. But not everybody works. Not everybody stays there. I mean, people, they commute out of there. So if you're not familiar with Southern California traffic, the way that it works uh, after the end of the day is if you have to drive up towards Temecula, then you need to be like 
on the road and try to get passed through Temecula before 3 p.m. in the afternoon because otherwise it bottlenecks. We I don't even know why. I think it's just that it must narrow a lane or two, but it's like four or five lanes wide and it'll bottleneck for like ever. There's always a lot of car accidents right there by old California road in Temecula. Um, just it's kind of a hot mess. So thankfully that's on the end of the day headed north. And at that point in time, I'll be heading south. My meeting is only from nine till noon because we wanted to make sure that we were all out of traffic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. uh, It's just irritating a little bit, but you know, I just take it as it comes. That's right. I mean, thankfully you have a job. We all thankful we have a job, you know, something you can take care of. And wow. Do. Thanks for diminishing my challenges, Chris. Be thankful you have a job. I'm going to say that to you from now on. Every time you complain, be thankful you have a job, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I, re- <laughs> I really do. It makes me think about like, gosh, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> How was your day today? You were kid free, wife free. Quiet house almost until, all day. Until you told me the housekeeper was coming over. So I was like, oh, that kind of like ruined my plans. Because it did not. You were going to the grocery store. Stop making it as if I ruined your day. I hate when you do that. I you didn't ruin my day. I'm just saying that like I thought I had until five o'clock of like pure Chris silence here in the house. You know, like awesome, heavenly, amazingness, you know. What? <laughs> and then. And you then, are not. You were, uh, you were already telling me you were going to the grocery store. I was going to go to the store. And yeah. then I said, oh, by the way, the housekeeper's coming. And you were like, oh, okay, perfect. Well, I'll go to the grocery store at that time. You, this is the first time you're even mentioning that it was an issue. Just You're just it wasn't putting, a, me on, it wasn't, you're putting me on blast. That's I'm not what putting, you're doing. No, I'm not putting you on blast. I'm saying that I thought that I had an entire eight hours of freedom today. And I didn't. That's all I'm saying. Well, you had a lot of freedom, more than most people. So what did you do with it? So today, as you may not know, um, I have another podcast called Podtastic Audio. And um, over the last few weeks, uh, another guy reached out to me from another company, offered to give me a free website building builder that he developed for podcasts. It's called Podcast Page. And is this like a well-established something or is it going to like disappear? Listen, I'm not a tech guy. I don't know this stuff obviously. So what happened was that I'm trying to build a new website for Podtastic Audio on his platform. It's supposed to be super easy to do. It's not really easy for me because I can't figure stuff out very well. So I'm trying to figure it out for the last couple of weeks. And then last night, I just purchased the domain name for Podtastic Audio, which I haven't locked up yet. So I got that name locked up. So now I was trying to merge the two together. So PodtasticAudio.com would cover the new website I've been building. But I'm an idiot when it comes to putting website stuff together. So this morning through Twitter, the guy was at, helped me out and I was taking screenshots of the screens. That I was showing him what I was doing because on his end, it wasn't showing like it was coming up correctly. So he's like, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. He said, can you send me a screenshot of the GoDaddy stuff? Okay. So I showed him a screenshot of that. Oh, here's what you got to do. You got to unclick this. You got to click that. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's typed this in. Well, I mean, I have to interrupt here because yesterday you were like, do you know how to connect a domain name with a website? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, well, just tell me how to do it so I know how to do it. I'm like, I can't tell you. I have to actually physically be on your computer to fix it. So I log in and I'm like, what is all of this stuff? All these extra links and check boxes and everything. And I was like, I don't know what you did, but I'm just going to click this one thing that I know is going to make it work. And I did get it working. But then the first thing you go is, 
why is it saying it's not a secure website? It's not secure. Well, that screwed up. And I'm like, well, thanks a lot, Christine, for helping me. Thank you so much, honey, for helping me. Well, thank you so much, honey, for helping me. I really, really appreciated that. But what I'm saying is that he was checking things on his end and showing it wasn't connected correctly. It's what he was telling me on his end. So Because my- of all of the boxes that you checked. This is your approach to things. If you don't know what to do, you go and you press all of the buttons <laughs> and you turn all of the switches <laughs> and you're like, oh, if I don't know how to make this work, I'm just going to break it completely. <laughs> I'm going to screw everything up on it, just trying to well, figure you know, it out. Technology and me don't work very well. We, we're not best friends here, me and technology. I try my best to figure this stuff out, you know, but when it comes to like website design, and though I did do our website and stuff like that, but like figuring out all the behind. You did it. And then I had to teach you how to embed links and things like that. And then you were like, oh, well, now I know how to do that. I'm going to take those off and I'm going to do them all my way. What? What links? We talk about all like the embedded links and the. The photos and the gallery and all the podcasts. Oh, that's still there, I believe. Okay. Okay. Well, go ahead. Tell everybody what else you ended up doing today. So after I did that fantastic stuff, working on that, I just had to go to the store. I had some time today, you know. Wait, that's all you did today? I texted you at 3.15 or 2.30 and I left the house at... 7:15. Like and I that's said before, it takes me a while to figure this stuff out. Like I don't know which end of a, of a, a mouse to use. No, I, I okay, don't. tell everybody the real truth is: what time did you actually get moving and take a shower today? Oh, I don't know. Like um, before noon. I think it's before noon. Was it? You know, I, it I, was I, it. I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It was. Well, I was working on this thing, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I got to take a shower. So you get in a wormhole. It's crazy. I do. I do. And I'm trying to figure this thing out. I, I'm still working on it. It's on podcasticaudio.com and I'm still working on the bugs. It, it's nice. It, it looks nice right now. He did help me out, add a few things to it that I didn't have on there, like the images and stuff. But anyways, I'm trying to figure it out. And um, just promise me you're not going to take down our Chris and Christine show website. And absolutely. Move it over. Absolutely not. So what I'm going to do is I'm still have the pod page available for both of our sites. They're still free on the free pod page. I still like their design and stuff. So I can still use that to share episodes and things of that sort. It makes it very convenient and easy. You can share with this one too. He did help me out with that because before I was like, why can't I share an episode from this new website I built? Like, why is it being so difficult? And he added a little couple of little features that I didn't know how to add. Okay. He, he added to it. So now it makes it easier to where I can easily share an episode itself, not just have to share the whole thing. And it was, it's complicated. It's all nerd talk, you know what I'm saying? But um, <laughs> did you ever think you were going to become a nerd? Um, did I think it? No, I already am. I think, you know, no, in you different weren't. ways. I'm different you ways. You were like the guy that's like, uh, go to school. I'd rather like go party with my friends. I was always daydreaming about what's going on, on the weekends. You yeah. know, like I'm like, like since I walk into work or a school on Monday, I was always thinking about Sunday or yeah, Monday really? or or the Friday or Saturday. Saturday. You were thinking yeah. about the weekend. A hundred percent. Basically, thinking I was. About the weekend. I was. I was there physically, but I never was there mentally. You know, it's just you know. So is that something that like you struggled with all go- growing up is like trying to stay present in class while you had all of these like imaginative, like, did you have like adventures going on in your head or did you have dreams of what you wanted to do with your life? What was it? Let me tell you. So what I yes, w- please do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while the teacher was talking, I was daydreaming like crazy. My mind was going off to La La Land, like somewhere else. And I always wonder like, would it be cool if I did this thing or did that thing? Hey, after school today, it'd be kind of cool if I did this. I'd be, oh, I'd be kind of cool. Yeah, let's do that. And so, and the teacher says, hey, Chris. And I'm like, oh, what? Huh? What? 
uh, were you paying attention to anything else? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. He, yeah. That's the same thing that happens now with us. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You married a teacher. And, and, well, I had to get, you know, you go back go back to what I screwed up. <laughs> fix, fix a problem in the beginning. So uh, the teacher always used to say like, Hey, uh, Chris, what's the answer for this problem? And you do your typical, like staring off at the ceiling <laughs> and the teacher would say something like, uh, is there an answer on the ceiling? I don't know about, um, why are you looking up there? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and he's just something like, um, is there a little moon men up there that would help you uh, answer that question for you? I'm like, uh, I figure maybe if I stare long enough at the ceiling, you'll just go to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what you do you're like oh yeah you're such a goofball yeah well well you know. how'd that work for you well it's great you know now that i'm a uh p i do have my doctorate and i am um no, a lawyer. You don't. oh that's, that was a daydream of mine sorry <laughs> <laughs> see i daydream all the time you know yeah. so i wonder about these things well i'm i'm glad that you have things that you you find joy in and that give you fulfillment and it's just sometimes it is very frustrating, though, when I'm trying to communicate with you and you've got podcasts on the mind. And the only thing that you talk about is podcasting. It's well, really I'm just trying to create. It's like with your business, for example, like your business probably has evolved, I would say, now than it has when you first launched it. Right. Right. Okay. But it's because I spend time working on it when you're not around, but you tend to work on podcasting exclusively all the time. I work on it when I have time, which is whenever I'm around, which yeah, my, my time is very limited. So, um, very unlimited. You're right. It is very unlimited. It's very limited. Hey, you speak, have unlimited time. Well, th- oh, no, I do not. <laughs> hey, speaking of podcasting, um, I was on a Twitter space, uh, as a co-host. Um, what is a Twitter space for people that are wondering? Is it like a, like, go into a club or something it kind of is really well twitter space has evolved somewhere around i think a year ago or so maybe a little longer than that because there was another company called clubhouse and this clubhouse app was all the rage which is like if you think of it as is a, it like voxer or like um, um like one of those like audio talking kind of things kind of but it's more like a group chat like think of it like everybody in the chat can like raise your hand and talk. It's all audio, no video. It's all audio. Think of like a Zoom call, like a multi-person Zoom call without like the video stuff. So it's like an AOL chat room, but with actual talking versus just typing all of your messages. It's exactly. Like, it's what it's what chat rooms have evolved to. It's crazy. So um, I was invited to host one about podcasting um, last week, and I was able to record it all thanks to the new Rodecaster Pro Two behind me over here. What, what does it mean to host it? Because like, do you have to create your own space or is it something that somebody else does? Well, somebody else creates a space and they can add co-host to the space. And I was added as a co Because I told her, like, I don't know like how to create a space. I'm not big in a space. I don't do a lot of them. Because it do take a lot of time to, right. to do that and sit around and do that all day. So I had to be timed out. She already asked me a couple of days before to do this. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. would be great. And I could plug my new coaching services and things of that sort on there. And we can talk about podcasting and answer a lot of Q&A with people coming in. It was great. I felt like I was like, like, you know, the expert shows like the Dave Ramsey talk shows, mm-hmm. you know, like callers would call in and ask him for advice, advice and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like that for me. But on wow. Twitter spaces, I got the whole thing taped. So on the next episode of Podcastic Audio, I'm going to put that as the episode. Oh, so, cool. um, And I worked on the audio yesterday a little bit, got it all dialed up. 
I mean, it didn't sound that great because the callers were coming in on their phone. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that on Twitter. It would seem like you're, it's not like if you had podcast guests on where you would have really crisp, clean quality. Like if it's a Twitter space and people are calling in, are they just using... Are they using microphones or are they all using their cell phones for the most I part? I think most of them just use their phone because it's just on your phone and you talk into it like you would a speakerphone on your iPhone. You just talk like, just like that to it and um, you play just like you would a speakerphone call, call kind of thing. But if you use the Rodecaster Pro 2, is there a way to connect your phone so that it didn't sound as bad as everybody else's? Exactly. So what I did do is that on the Rodecaster Pro 2, there is a Bluetooth feature where you can connect an iPhone directly via Bluetooth. I think there's a plug. You get to get a special adapter. You get the, I don't have the adapter for it, but the Bluetooth works just fine. So you plug it in like a Bluetooth. Now your Rodecaster is just like any other Bluetooth headset you would have for a phone, just like, a, just like earbuds, basically. Oh, so like if you were on the Twitter space, on Bluetooth, were you listening through the headphones like we are right now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Everything was coming through the system as if you and I are talking right now. Everything came through that. And I could talk to the people through the microphone. And it was I was taping everything on the Rodecaster. Because the Rodecaster makes it very simple to record like everything. If anything goes into the Rodecaster, you can tape it. So, so then if you were on Bluetooth for the Twitter space, were you on Bluetooth for like two hours? Because wasn't it a two-hour session? It was a two-hour session. So, I, yes, I was on the entire time. My phone plugged into the charging port. So I was just going to say, I'm surprised die. your phone didn't die. I know. But the cool thing was that any of the sound effects and effects that I can do on the Rodecaster transferred over to the Bluetooth, and they heard it on Twitter Spaces. Oh, that's cool. Like the um, change your voice thing, uh-huh. which which totally freaked them out because I was doing <laughs> that as a fun gag. And they were like, whoa, that's amazing. I don't know you can do that. <laughs> so, and I saved all of that. So the next episode of Podtastic Audio, I chopped it the best I could. And we're gonna, that's going to be on the next episode to kind of like uh, show my expertise. Ooh, look at you, fancy pants. That's I really know, awesome. Huh? Well, I'm excited for you that you were, first of all, that you were invited to go and co-host one of those things and get the name of Podtastic Audio out there a bit more. And then second of all, that you were able to figure out some new technology, which it, sh- it sounds like you had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. You know, if I could, I would do more Twitter spaces like that. I thought about that if I, if I could, but I mean, you got to schedule all those things out and you got to get like, like she scheduled this thing out like a week, a week in advance, right. you know, and she was promoting and she's got like 18,000 followers. Mm-hmm. So I, we have like, you know, 3000 or whatever. So it's, it's, you know, I mean. But not every one of your 18,000 is going to show up either. Right. We had like maybe 20 at the most, maybe mm-hmm. 30 at the most that showed up. So uh, That's okay though. Yeah, it is. It's just, fu- it's just fun to do it and to interact with people one-on-one and have yeah. like this group discussion. It always reminds me of like if we were going to do like a live show, like a live podcast and take Q&A live like on the fly, mm-hmm. that'd be a good way to do it because you can easily connect the phone to it. The phone can connect to the roadcaster. We all can... That'd be cool. It would be a lot of lot of moving parts, but it, yeah, it'd be, it'd be kind of a way to do it if you could do it. And think, yeah. think, thanks to the old Rodecaster behind me, it really pulled it all off. Well, it seems like it's something that you've been really enjoying and having fun with learning new aspects of it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so the other thing I wanted to share with everybody, um, not that I mean whether or not they're really interested in it, is that you and I actually had a kid-free weekend this past weekend. I did have two weddings, one on Thursday, one on Friday. But we also last night got to have a very rare 
like rarely seen date night. Oh, yes. We went to Poseidon Restaurant in Del Mar. One of my clients gave us a really generous gift card and we were able to go. It was like right on the sand, like just there's like the glass and then there's the sand and the waves. We got a bottle of champagne. We ate some great food. What was it that you had? I had um, Chilean sea bass. Chilean sea bass. It was laid on a bed of like roasted... uh, uh, baby tomatoes. Yeah, they're small tomatoes. The baby tomatoes. Uh huh. Like little grape tomatoes. Yeah. Tomatoes. Sliced in half, grilled, and then it had like a bed of um, thin mashed potatoes. Which mm-hmm. I, that's kind of weird to put fish on top of mashed potatoes, but I guess it worked. It, it tasted I mean, great. As long as it tasted good. And then I had a fillet because I do have a seafood allergy. And so I had a salad, fillet, and then we had creme brulee for dessert. It was really nice to be able to reconnect and to chat because I feel like one of the things that happens when you're so busy as a couple is that you get so caught up in the day to day and everything that has to get done that the first thing that gets out of whack in a relationship is communication. You know, communication is a big thing. It's actually the things that really have either made or broken my relationships in the past. Yeah. And I believe that communication is a very powerful key to any relationship. And still, I mean, we're, technically still kind of newlyweds. I mean, we're not even married yet two years and we're still trying to figure out how to have this healthy and balanced communication even when we go through times of friction. And it's interesting because we had a little bit of friction on our way to dinner and we were both like, you know what, let's just go home. And we were like, I don't even, we didn't even want to finish having our date because we just got to this point of it was really tough to communicate. But I was really proud of us that we rallied and we were like, No, we need to go. We need to have this date together. We need to have time because I think that little miscommunications start to creep up when we don't have time to like sit down and reconnect and reflect on like where we're at in our relationship and and talk about things other than work and podcasting. Absolutely. 100%. I can't agree even more than uh, with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and so speaking of communication, we have an expert in the area of communication that is going to be joining us this week as our guest. And he's coming to us from quite a distance away. We're going to be back with him right after this. If you love music and podcasting, now you can have both. Introducing the brand new K2 radio station. Available 24-7 on the Live 365 app for free. Specializing in rock and alternative music. We're talking bands like Coldplay, Nirvana, Muse, Imagine Dragons, and yes, even the Rolling Stones. They have all stopped by to drop off songs, and we even have brand new popular tracks added every single day. Also on the free K2 radio station, we are including podcasting. Get the best of both worlds. Download the free Live 365 app or listen online at live365.com and type in K2 Radio. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest on the show. He's coming to us from quite a distance away. He's a speaker, coach, and author. Welcome to the show, Jem Fuller. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you for bringing in the audience to um, to cheer us along. That's really lovely of you. Yeah, definitely. We appreciate you flying all of this way to be here live in our studios in California. Did you like the <laughs> private plane that we sent for you? It was just astounding. And the service was next level as well. You guys just 
didn't leave a detail unturned. Yes. That's, that's how we roll, you know? We, you know. we bring everybody in here first class. That's mm-hmm. how we do it. Live know? chef on board, you know, grilling right at your seat. It's just, you know, nobody's ever seen amenities like that before. <laughs> just real quick, Jim, real quick. Did, did, was, was George the pilot today? And did he do any loops? Because I told him I'd knock that off, you know? No, man. He asked me, he said, are you okay with loops? And I said, let's go for it, you know? So he just went right ahead. Perfect. Oh, wow. You got the full experience then. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We know that there's quite a bit of a time difference between the two of us because you are coming to us from where in the world? I'm coming to you from an hour and a half drive away from Melbourne, which is the second biggest city here in Australia. So down on the south east corner of Australia and it's midday here. So it's a very, um, very reasonable time. That's wonderful. And what season is it over there? We're just coming into spring. You guys, are, you guys are backwards, so it's down yeah. under. Or are we backwards? Yeah. Well, we're backwards, too. I, I, guess, I guess it depends where you live, really, how you... We're, you know. we're backwards. We're definitely backwards. We're in reverse to you, but we are in the future. So it's Monday, lunchtime here, and I can let you all know that um, the world is still here. Everything's still okay. The sun still came up on Monday morning, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. Hey, speaking of which, uh, do you remember when Y2K happened and everyone was freaking out when, like, yeah. the year 2000? Now... Were, were people in the States calling you and say, hey, what happened? What happened? Are we okay? <laughs> Are you still there? <laughs> Do, um, not... Oh, go ahead, Jem. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just bantering. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, it's funny that you bring that up, Chris, because actually I flew to Australia on January 1st of the year 2000. So um, people were not flying there. The planes were so empty because everybody was afraid that all of the planes were going to crash. So I actually flew to Sydney on January 1st, year 2000. Wow, but, yeah. clever you. What a, what a clever thing to do. You would probably maybe even got really cheap seats. Did I you? did, and I had two full rows. I flew with uh, Fijian Airlines, and I had like 10 seats to myself. I had everything like spread out. I had all my stuff yeah. in one row, and then I slept across an entire other row. I was going to ask you, are you allowed to do that? You got yeah. Nobody next to you, you can lay down, huh? There were like 15 of us in the main cabin. It was so like, so yeah, skim. Who, who needs first class when you've got a whole row of seats to yourself. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, we're glad to know that the world is still functioning um, on a Monday morning over there. Do you guys hate Mondays too down there like we do, you know? Do we say what, sorry? Do you hate Mondays like we do? I, I personally don't. I do know people who who don't like Mondays, but it's pr- usually because they don't like the work that they do. Yeah. Um, you know, and Monday's the start of the working week, and if your work's a drag, then Mondays are, you know, the Monday-itis. But no, I, I love Mondays, and uh, but I love what I do, so. Well, what is it that you do, Jem? Oh, look, the, the sound bite, the easiest answer to that question is leadership coach. Um, and if people are not really interested in what I do, they go, oh, okay. And we continue on <laughs> to a different part of the conversation. <laughs> but if people are, are interested in, in what sits underneath that, it's a combination of one-to-one coaching, uh, usually with executive or senior leaders, uh, not in a specific sector. I've got clients in government departments, um, in, you know, so in the public sector, also in the private sector and the not, not-for-profit sector. A lot of my clients um, have just happened to be in the health sector, which I love. So lots of um, clinic owners, physiotherapists and osteos and podiatrists, etc. And I love working in the health sector because generally speaking, they're good people who really care about the health and well-being of communities. Um, and I love doing good work with good people. So there's the coaching part. There's the one-to-many, which is you know facilitating workshops to help organizations create healthier workplace culture. 
But the, my favorite stuff to do is the retreats that we run. We had to pause them through COVID, obviously, but my partner and I run retreats in the Himalaya and in Bali and in the deserts of Australia. And that's my favorite part. That's amazing. When you say retreats, I think of like growing up, my mom would always go to like these church women's retreats, but I just had a friend. She's actually in Paris right now posting about going to this mastermind business owners retreat. And it's like a health and wellness and branding retreat. I've been seeing more of these things on Instagram, but can you tell our listeners what these are and what the purpose is? Yeah, so we call them uh, the conscious leader. One of them's a leadership retreat called the conscious leader. There's another one that I was running for years, and it might sound strange as a male, but I was running women's retreats, the conscious woman in Bali, and felt very honoured um, that women trusted me to come away on retreat and have me hold space for them. So that was really lovely. We've turned that Bali retreat now into the conscious human. So we've opened it up to, to anyone who wants to come. And we run relationship retreats, conscious relating retreats here in Australia. Uh, and it, look, essentially, they are personal development, but it's a time, it's an opportunity to step away from your normal paradigm. And I've found that when the clients make the effort to get somewhere very different to what they're used to. And there's a bit of a mission to have to get there. So our Himalaya retreat, you know, you've got to fly to Delhi and then we fly on a small little propeller plane up into the foothills of the Himalaya and our family picks us up in four-wheel drives and we drive up to a very remote village in the foothills of the Himalaya. So by the time we get there, it's geographically different, culturally different, you know, everything's very different. So it opens up potential for new ways of looking at yourself and your relationship with life, which is, you know, what I'm hoping to um, provide for the people who come away with us. So everyone at the end of the retreat has had their own version of quite a remarkable experience and their outlook on themselves and their relationships and their work and their life is enhanced. So that's the idea. So with that in mind, it sounds like you've had a lot of opportunities to get to know yourself and what it is that you excel in. Um, Have you been in this space for your entire career or did you start out in a different industry? I've done so many different things. This latest chapter, which is where I really feel I'm 51 now and I've been running my own coaching practice for nine years. And I really feel like finally I've kind of put all the pieces together, all the different pieces of my life now fit beautifully. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is my meaningful work. This is my vocation. This is, you know, how I enjoy to make a positive difference um, to whatever degree that is. But no, previous to my midlife, people call it a midlife crisis. I call it a midlife awakening. <laughs> um, but I had that typical thing in my early 40s. And I was in a suit and tie prior to that. Um, lost my career, lost my marriage, lost my house, lost everything except my two boys, um, which I'm very grateful. They were the the cornerstone of my self-healing actually was the fact that I was a father and I had these two beautiful young people who were relying on me um, to get my act together. Um, so, so that was good. But look, prior to the suit and tie job, which wasn't really me anyway, um, I've done everything from tattooist to fire dancer, to motorcycle courier, volunteer in third world countries, kindergarten teacher in Taiwan, um, Reiki, reflexology, Chinese <laughs> massages, just the list goes on and on. I'm not quite sure how I packed it all into these 51 years. <laughs> well, it sounds it's like- a wonder how we are. You know, when you look back at your, your life that you 
have done, even career-wise, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, most of us uh, usually have a pretty extensive, you know, list of things we've done. Yeah. Right. So how was it in there that you finally figured out what it is that is your forever thing or your forever for now thing? <laughs> yeah. I, so just, just prior to losing my job, my career, um, my boss engaged an external coach to come in and run a, a weekend, a personal development weekend for, for the senior leadership team of which I was a part. And I just loved what he was doing. He was, he was like a magician to me. He um, is a human behavioral expert. He's, and to this day has, you know, remained a mentor and a friend of mine. And he was, I was just fascinated. He stood in front of us and he understood us all beautifully and very accurately in terms of our behavior, uh, the way that we think and process information, the way that we move through our lives. And it was all through him studying human behavior and NLP and all that kind of cool stuff. And I just loved it. I was enraptured. And I said to him on one of the lunch breaks, dude, what do you do for a job? <laughs> and he said this, I teach this stuff. And I'm like, I want to do this. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. You got the bug, I, right? I got the bug, man. I was like, I love this because I've always been fascinated in human behavior and I've always been fascinated in this, what is it to, to be? You know, I've right. always been a very deep thinker and I've spent years wandering around, you know, Asia and specifically India. And I mean, literally years wandering around, contemplating and pondering, you know, the mysteries of life, um, not really coming up with any firm answers. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I was just fascinated. And I said, I want to do this. And the universe heard me, but I was planning on staying in the suit and tie for another year and, uh, you know, building up some more resource. But the universe um, didn't get the timing on it. And so the next month I lost my job and, uh, and I got a small handshake from the, from the organization I was working with and just enough money for me to go and invest in learning, um, coaching and human behavior and NLP and all the bits that go with it. Nice. And so when you found yourself in that space, because I know that there's a lot of men that are in their like forties, like early to mid forties and struggle with what you were referring to as like kind of a midlife crisis or a midlife, um, evaluation of priorities. How did yeah. you navigate that? And I know you mentioned like losing a relationship, how yeah. did you come out on the other side stronger? By convincing myself that I was good enough just the way I was. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, most people don't see that, you know, they, they reflect on whatever everybody else says. Their, their judgment of themselves is what everybody else says, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized, and it, it really was an awakening um, event, <clears throat> but I realized that this is when I was, uh, 40, I want to say 40 or 41 years old, I realized that I'd been running this subconscious belief throughout my life that I wasn't good enough, you know, that I wasn't enough. And it's funny. I mean, I know this now. I didn't know this at the time. But when we have a belief, we distort the information from the environment around us to match our beliefs, right? Yeah. And so I was distorting the information around me to match that belief that I wasn't enough. And if I did start to create some version of success in any aspect of my life, I would sabotage it because I didn't think I deserved it. Did that relate to your relationship that you were in also? Because I've seen so yeah. many people that unconsciously self-sabotage those relationships that are closest to them, whether it's with an intimate partner or children or family. Yeah. And if you, ha if you had have asked the version of me 
that I was back then, I would have said, I'm not sabotaging this marriage. I'm trying everything I can to save it. That's what I would have said back then. But now with the benefit of hindsight, I can see that subconsciously I was. But also I fell in love with a person who was a reflection back to me that I wasn't good enough. So my then wife would point out to me regularly where I wasn't good enough, but I chose her. You know, I, I take responsibility for that because I, I believe that we are largely responsible for creating the environment around us. That's deep. I've got to just like process on that for a second because I've never heard it mentioned that way. You know, Chris and I have both been in relationships previously and I would say that very much the same is true. I, I don't know if I necessarily sabotage that other relationship, but you pick somebody that matches who you believe you are at that moment. And then mm. as you grow and you develop, uh, sometimes you realize that that's, it, it's just a hard recognition of, wow, that's not the person that I really need, but it's who yeah. I chose. And so how do we grow into this new and different thing together? Or is this a necessary ending? And so for yeah. you, it sounded like there was an ending there, but uh, what have you done since that to, it sounds like you have a partner now that you're in a much more fulfilled relationship with. What have you done to make that come true? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I really do put it back to what I mentioned just before. My current partner didn't show up in my life until I'd done the work on myself, until I learned to completely love and accept myself. And that was just re-brainwashing myself. I came across these books, um, several books, you know, by people like Joe Dispenza and other people, uh, and, and also some neuroscience books. And I just started to read into the wiring of our brain and, and our beliefs and our thoughts and, and how we can actually rewire, we can evolve our own neurology. And it's pretty boring, but you've just got to roll your sleeves up and do the work and put stuff on high repeat using the power of language, essentially, which is mantra. And I used to think that mantra was, um, you know, some kind of hippie Eastern woo-woo thing. Uh, and then I realized, wow, we can actually fire the neurons repetitively and they begin to wire together per se, not, not literally, but mm -hmm. they become a path of least resistance. So I just put on high repeat, I'm good enough just the way I am. I'm good enough just the way I am and I deserve happiness and I deserve love, all these things. And it took, a, it took a while. It took about six to 12 months for me to actually believe my own hype. And in the beginning, I didn't believe it. I thought this is a crock. You know, this is just right. crazy. Um, but I had read the books and I would look at my two children and say, Jem, you, you need to make a change. You really do. And so I went on this mission to learn to love myself. And after I started to believe my own hype, like I actually literally <laughs> brainwashed myself into believing that I'm enough, that's when Talia, my beautiful woman, showed up. You know, and now our, our relationship is next level conscious. It's Look so easy. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, did you, do you ever kind of wish sometimes, like I know you had children with your first one, but do you ever kind of wish that like maybe this would have been the one that, that started the whole from the very beginning? It, uh, it's a great question. And no, I don't. I don't. Because if we had a met earlier, I don't think we would have been ready or right to create what we've created now. We had to go through what we've been through for us to be able to be the way we are now. Having said that, when we, when we were falling in love, we, you know, the body, your body is 
you know, driven to want to procreate. We, we really wanted to make babies together and we contemplated it for ages and we had teenagers at the time and our teenagers were saying, don't you dare have more children. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they just didn't want it. But we were, you know, our bodies and especially Talia's body being a woman, our bodies were driven to want to procreate because that's what we do, us humans, right? But we moved through that and we consciously decided not to because... We wanted to give the four children that we do have, you know, the love and attention that they deserve. But also we both run our own businesses and um, and our businesses dovetail and we do work together. Uh, and we wanted to be able to give all of ourselves to that now. You know, we've both done the toddler thing. Yeah, right. agree. Yeah, you're, you said you're 51, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to have a... You know, a 10-year-old when you're in your 60s, you know? <laughs> nah, nah. Well, you could just nah. do like what Chris and I did. We decided we really wanted a baby um, and we went for a fur baby and we uh -huh. got a dog instead of a human baby. <laughs> yeah, well, Talia is desperate for another dog. We had to um, we had to let her beautiful furry baby, who wasn't a baby anymore, she was an old girl, but we had to let her go just in the last couple of years, oh. which was really sad for Talia. And she's really wanting a, a, a fur baby again. But the reason I'm saying, can we just not yet, because we both travel a lot. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's just hard if you've got that that extra. Why don't you just get a koala? They're like everywhere, right? <laughs> We've got koalas. They're just there already. Uh, now, are they really vicious, though? I heard they're really vicious. They're so nah, cute, they're, though. No, nah, they're stoned. They're stoned on eucalyptus all the time. They're too stoned to be vicious. <laughs> oh, wait, they get high off that? For real? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what it does. It puts them in, like, euphoria. No way. Yeah. yeah. I had yeah. no idea. It's like they're, it's like they're stoned all the time. <laughs> what a trip. They're like, dude. No, I, I, had no, I, heard, I heard they're vicious though. Like they could attack with your finger off or something. Oh, they, look, they could. If you, if you went up and provo provoked them, they, they could, but I've never seen it happen, you know? And okay. No, okay. no, they're docile. Uh, okay. I got a second animal question for Australians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen plenty of videos on Instagram with like koalas, like punching each other out. In the koalas or kangaroos? No, sorry, kangaroos. Kangaroos. Yeah, yeah, kangaroos. Kangaroos. Yeah. Kangaroos. Yeah. They were punching each other out in someone's backyard and they got on video. Yeah. I've seen the videos. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? Do you see that? The kangaroos, the, the big male kangaroos fight like that. Yeah. And they, their tails are so strong. They can, it's almost like an extra leg. They can lean back on their tails and then kick their two, you know, main legs out and, and, you know, and, they, and their claws are really sharp so they can gouge each other. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's typical for big male kangaroos to do that. However, having said that, you know, you don't see kangaroos hopping down the street in most suburban or city places yeah, of it's Australia. Like, yeah, it's like uh, alligators in Florida. We went to Florida. We didn't see any, you know, and we went, right. to, we went to a park that's supposed to be for an alligator park. Still didn't really see yeah. any, you know. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you one thing, though. When I have um, international guests come and see us here, there is a – we live in a, in a surfing town, and the next town along – uh, where my boys spend a lot of their time growing up. In that town, there's a golf course that is home to thousands of kangaroos and they actually do hop down the street, you know, down the suburban streets. So it's very rare, but it's just in the next town. And I take people there and say, look, see, we've got kangaroos everywhere. <laughs> now, they, are they endangered species? Can you, or what's no. the... No, they're uh, a no, they're, they're even in pest proportions for farmers. And some farmers actually have licenses to, to shoot them. And do you guys serve them on the grill or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We eat kangaroo. Oh my goodness! What, does, you yeah. seriously do? Does it taste yeah, like chicken? Yeah, we seriously do. Does it taste like chicken? Everyone says everything tastes like chicken. Does it taste like chicken? Yeah, it tastes like chicken. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
But you can buy you can buy roux in the supermarket the same as you can buy beef or chicken or pork or whatever. Wow. Check that out. I can have, I can have some. <laughs> well, Chris got us way off track I with koalas and kangaroos. <laughs> Sorry about that, Jem. No, we're good, uh, we're good. Yeah, so now that you've had your, your time to reflect and grow and you've moved into this space of leadership coaching, um, mm. how is it that you attract your clients? Yeah, look, that's a great question. When I uh, first started, my mentor, the same guy I mentioned earlier, um, he said to me, go and join BNI. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm um, not sure if you've heard of BNI. It actually comes from the States originally, but BNI is Business Networking International. And it's, um, it's a worldwide organization and there are chapters all around the world and it's a referral network. So in a chapter, they only have one accountant, you know, one lawyer, one architect, one coach, one bricklayer, any trade. And you sit in a group, you get to know each other and you refer business to each other. So it's, oh, it's wow. basically a, a, a kind of like a formalized way of referring work to each other. So that's how I got my start. Um, and I just gradually, you know, was chipping away. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be, and I'm putting my modest hat on, I just have to be honest. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to be really good at what I do. So then you start to build a reputation. Now I don't need BNI anymore. I haven't been with that organization for three or four years now. Uh, and I just, I mean, I have a reputation and people hear about me and call me up and ask. Is there, you know, a, uh, is there a service fee to use BNI? BMI? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's about, in Australian dollars, look, I, I'm guessing it's about $1,500 a year. Okay. So in US dollars, I don't know, seven or eight hundred dollars a year. Oh, okay. Okay. Our dollar, our strong, ours is stronger than the uh, Australian dollar. I didn't know that. I yeah, know. I think it's actually it might be Australian dollar is pretty strong at the moment. I think it might be point seven or something. I don't know. I yeah. might be wrong with that. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's a really great way to get your start. And so, um, do you take on uh, a lot of clients, or do you really limit who you're working with so you can go deeper? Yeah, I don't take on a lot of clients. No. Um, and my clients pay me well because the results they get are, um, you know, pretty transformational. Um, yeah. So, and that bread, that bread and butter stuff is, is fine. That's humming along and that's enough to, you know, put baked beans on the table for the kids. <laughs> yeah. nice. Um, but the, the, the stuff that I'm really interested in is the scalable stuff. So we've got some online courses now. When I say we, me and the mm -hmm. team that I employ, we, you know, we've got some online courses and uh, there's a book that I wrote through COVID which has been published and is out and about um, now as well. And so there's that kind of, you know, the other side of the business that I'm shifting my focus towards. It's a whole package then really you're working on then, not just uh, just one. Not one just one, one facet of just coaching. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as I was doing some research on you, Gem, I was noticing that you really focus a lot on a couple of key aspects like resilience, leadership, and communication. So Chris mm. and I would love to learn a little bit from you about your approach to helping people with thoughtful communication and what that looks like in interpersonal relationships and in the workplace. So can you talk mm. to us a little bit about your approach to working with communication? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, obviously because I'm so focused on it, I believe that communication is ultimately important to the quality of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I, by that, I mean that, you know, not only do we are we really we only exist in relationship you know right if, if, if you don't have relationship with anybody then your sense of self um, has nothing to be mirrored off and and 
nothing to express itself through. So I, relationships are ultimately important and therefore communication is, is very important as well. But also, you know, even just to manifest an idea into reality. If you can't communicate the idea, there's no way it can ever become. You know, Einstein could have had the amazing revelations he had about the physical world, but if he couldn't communicate them, they would have amounted to nothing. Absolutely. And it seems like communication is where so many relationships, whether they are romantic or work-related, go askew, where people... Um, like in marriage relationships where fights start to emerge is when people aren't communicating effectively. And in the workplace, um, if an employee isn't communicating effectively with their employer or vice versa, it leads to uh, just so many complications. And so how do you work with individuals around that thoughtful communication? I I believe the place to start is the communication, the quality of the communication and therefore the relationship that you have with self. Because we get in our own way and and more specifically our sense of identity, which is our ego, gets in the way of effective communication because our ego, which is a self-protection mechanism that evolved with us as a species over millennia, our ego is necessarily defensive, right? It's there to try and keep us safe. So it's very, very defensive and we identify with our ideology and we identify with our political beliefs. So that's why you see people, you know, fighting horribly and miscommunicating with each other when they have different ideas. So pro-choice or pro-life, pro-vax or anti-vax, red or blue, you know, this division of of peoples and they're, they're so angry and so defensive over an idea, that's because they've identified with the idea. So when we're not aware of ourselves, our ego's running the show. Right? If, if you're not practicing some form of self-awareness or, or expanding your consciousness, the ego is driving the bus. Yeah, so. I never heard of that before, that the relationship between the ego and defensiveness, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. I'd never even thought about that when people enter into a conversation. And Chris and I always use ourselves as an example because it's just very relatable for our listeners. But Mm. when we have a little bit of communication friction, it's typically because somebody is communicating and somebody else is on the defensive automatically, no matter what the message was. Like not saying that this is an example of something between us, but it could be, you know, hey, Chris, I could say, Hey, Chris, where's the, yes, dear. Uh, where's the, <laughs> where's the peanut butter? And yeah, he could say it's where you left it last or, well, I don't know. Why don't you look where you, you know, something like that. And it's like, Whoa, I literally was just asking if he knows where the peanut butter is and it's yeah. taken as a defense. And I'm of course way simplifying things in this happens, you know, between us, we've been working on communication yeah. for the last uh, several months, but I'd never thought of myself when I react, it being an ego response. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the ego response. And, and so by understanding our ego and by, by knowing some of the, the general traits of the ego, then we can call it out. So this is, this is a, a practice, a daily practice. We all have an ego. It's not a bad thing. It's just a part of being human. But left unchecked, like I said, it's driving the bus. So to be able to catch your ego out and go, oh, wow, I was getting really defensive then. And there's six traits that are helpful um, to do this. If you don't mind me sharing them. Absolutely. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So the ego has the need to judge, right? It's the part of us that's judging others and judging ourselves, but it's very quick to place judgment on other people. You know, it makes you, sense. You, yeah, you're driving along in the driving along in the traffic, and there's a merging lane, and you leave a space for the for the car next to you. You leave a space for them to merge into, and the driver doesn't give you that little thank you wave. Mm. <laughs> you know, and you're judging them, going, "You rude." Oh, oh, excuse me, I swore on you. <laughs> oh, that's okay, I Were swore you on you. Were you in my car today? Right. <laughs> but you're there going, you rude so-and-so, right? You, you, you're judging them. You're going, what a rude person. You must have a terrible life. I wouldn't want to be your partner, blah, 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 blah. Right? So you're, you're judging this person. You're never going to meet them. Right. You're never going to meet that person. Hopefully, hopefully you don't because they can hopefully park. you don't, right? Yeah, they park in front of you. Yeah, they yeah. park in front of you and block your path and you get out of the car and they're walking towards you with a baseball bat. There's a movie in that. There's a movie yeah. in that for sure. But anyway, so the point is that your ego in that moment of judging them, the ego is all about itself. It's me-centric. So your ego is judging that other person only to reaffirm to itself, I would never do that. I'm polite. I'm considerate. Right. It's, that's why it's right. judging. It's just to, to reaffirm to itself who it thinks it is. So the ego has the need to judge. Ego has the need to justify. Right? Mm. You know, that defensive justification type tone. So if Chris said to you, um, you were the last one to have the peanut butter and you go, no, I wasn't. You had it. I saw you have it yesterday. That's your ego. Right. Mm. You just, or, or you might say, yeah, but I, I had so much on my mind that, um, you know, I wasn't thinking about where I put it because I've been dealing with all this, da, 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 da. you know, when, our, when we start to kind of have that tone of defensiveness when we're justifying why we've done something, that's just our ego. Right? Mm. So it justifies. The ego needs to look good. Hey, it's looking stupid. Oh, okay. Ego needs to know. So just say, for example, you two were at home and one of you's on the couch scrolling through social media and the other one's in the kitchen preparing some food and the person scrolling through social media sees something and they laugh out loud. They go, oh, that's funny. The other person in the kitchen goes, what? What did you see? And they go, oh, no, don't worry about it. And you say, no, what did you see? I want to know what you saw on what made you laugh, you know. The part of you that's desperate to know, that's your ego. Mm. And then the ego uh, needs to be right. You know, the part of you that says, I told you so. You said it was on the 15th. I told you it was on the 16th. <laughs> you know? um, so the ego is the part of us that um, wants to be right. You know, and I remember coaching this guy. Years ago, I used to do more life coaching stuff, and I was coaching this guy about his relationship. And he said to me, oh, wow, that is the demise of my marriage right there. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, we fight all the time over stuff that doesn't matter. Like we'll be sitting on the couch watching TV and my wife will say to me, oh, look, there's that actor off that other show. And I know it's not the same actor. And I'll go, no, it's not. And she goes, yeah, it is. And I'll go, it is not. And then they go Google war and they Google war each other to prove the other person wrong or more to the point for their ego to prove that they're right. And they bicker and fight about stuff. And I said, how's that working for you? And he goes, it's not, it's not very nice. I said to him, what would happen? If your wife said, oh, look, there's that actor off that show and you knew it wasn't and you just went, oh, yeah, hmm. you know, and he went, yeah, but it's not the actor. I said, yeah, but what would happen if you just let that one slide? And he said, oh, well, the world wouldn't implode and we wouldn't fight. <laughs> there you go, mate. See how that works for yeah, you. Yeah, you know? but I think I like to be, I mean, I like, I, like to, I don't know, I think for my personal problem is that I think I, I – I can't be wrong. 
you know, so. Because I've said to Chris before, when we're having these disagreements, I'm like, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? And he says, well, I yeah. want to be both. And so when <laughs> I'm right, I'll yes. be I'll be happy if I'm right. Exactly. So, and so yeah, he can't on, let on, it go. I've got, I've got to I've got to throw something in there, Chris. You'll be happy to some degree when you're right, but at the same time, if Christine's not happy, you're not you're not completely happy because when she's not happy, you're not completely happy because you're in love. Mm. Yes. I would hope yeah. so because <laughs> he did put a ring on it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're really highlighting what I think is at the center of so many people's miscommunications is I, I don't know if it's cause the ego feels like if it's wrong or if it doesn't correct, then it'll be embarrassed or feel invalidated. Well, it's, it's even deeper than that. For the ego, because the ego is an illusion, right? You guys have mm-hmm. got kids. Brand new little babies don't have a sense of identity. They just, it's all lights and sounds and sensations, right? Mm-hmm. So we develop this this personality, this identity, this ego. So it's an illusion. But for the ego, it's it's life and death. If the ego is threatened, it defends itself like it's real life and death. You know, so it, that's why people get so super defensive over these sorts of things. The last of those six traits that I haven't mentioned yet is the need to get even. Mm. This is when people hold a grudge. When you hear someone say, oh, karma will get you, right? Yeah. And they're saying to someone who did something horrible, oh, karma's going to get you. That's their ego. They're wanting that person to get paid back for whatever terrible thing they did, right? That's just ego. So our ego is very, very defensive of itself because if it's wrong, that's, that's a threat to its viability. Mm. You know, if it, if it looks stupid, that's a threat to its viability. So, it, yeah, it's, it's like life and death. But the interesting journey that I've been on and, and others who are interested in this conversation is every day a practice of just, just noticing my ego, not, not going to war with it, just noticing it and going, oh, hey, ego, I see you. But we're safe right now. There's no lion coming to eat us. <laughs> you know, someone just asked you why you buttered your bread that way. That's all. Um, you know, so just by calling it out, it's less in control. And when your ego is less in control, communication is so much easier because you don't. There's no defensive edge to it. There's no. There's no kind of harshness to the conversation because you're not. You're not trying to defend yourself. You're just there. And, 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 you know, to communicate really is to share and to, to make something common, to connect. You know. That's interesting. So as you talked about a little bit ago, you have these retreats that sometimes include couples for like their relationships. Mm. Is mm. there a strategy that you use to help couples navigate the interplaying of their egos to help them feel like they're in a much happier and healthier relationship? Or is yeah. it like only individual work? No, it's, it's I, it, I mean, it's, it's both. But what we do teach in those conscious relationship retreats that we run is that, and this is just a, what we believe is a, a healthy foundation to any relationship, is that I choose to love you just the way you are. Right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to be in love with your potential. I'm not going to be in love with, oh, if she could just be a bit more like this, then she'd be perfect for me. Or I believe that she'll get better at that and then I'll love her more. Or, you know, we say to each other, just as you are. And any of the work to be done for me is my work to do on me. 
Mm. Now, when you've got two people in relationship that both buy into that premise, when both people um, promise to love each other just the way they are with all your bits and bobs, all your faults, all your dysfunctions, every bit, when, when you promise to practice that, and it is a practice, right? Because you get confronted daily with, you know, your partner does things and you're like, oh, really? And then you go, oh, hang on, hang on, just the way they are. I've promised to love them just the way they are. So it's a, a daily practice. But when you're both doing that and when you're both taking responsibility for any personal development that's happening is you on you, then, then you can both elevate together. That's deep. <laughs> I'm just sitting with that for a minute. So then how do you transition the same type of work, but into a leadership coaching setting? Because I could see that if you're working with these high level executives, for so many of them, their ego and that leadership oh, yeah. identity has yeah. helped mm. them to get to where they're at. But mm. there's this uh, phrase we use because I'm, I'm an executive coach, but in education. And it's this uh, phrase of, what got you here won't get you there. It's like I love it. that thing that got you there could have been this prowess and this, I'm going to be this top leader. But once you get to that elevated place, that ego or that drive or that laser-like focus could be the thing that sabotages you into exile. So yeah. how do you work with leaders to figure out how to navigate that? I think an important fundamental step for any leader is to become super clear about what is the higher purpose, right? Not their own, not their own purpose of I'm here to um, make money and climb the corporate ladder so I can have the second house and the three cars and the four kids. Right. You know that that's fine. You know survival and lifestyle is one thing. That's fine. But let's have a let's have a bigger conversation. Let's talk about a meaningful life. What does that look like for you? And I'll be asking them what that looks like for them. And I'll be coaching them to, to come up with some sense of a higher purpose to what they do in the role that they're in. Uh, and if they can't find one, then perhaps they need to go and look for a different role or a different organization. But if they're in an organization that they believe in, what is the mission? Why are we here beyond, you know, turning a profit? Mm -hmm. And so once they can gravitate towards some sense of purpose, then great. Then I can say to them, all right, so if that's, if that's the higher purpose in any situation, how are you best going to serve that purpose? And so then we, it'll come into contextual conversations. They might say, well, you know, this person that reports to me is being an idiot and, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. They're complaining about someone's behavior and then we, we end up fighting and they get defensive and I try to give them feedback and they cross their arms and roll their eyes, et cetera. And so then I can have a conversation with them and say, hey, what could you do differently to best serve the higher purpose, right? Mm. And then we can have a conversation about them getting out of their own way, about them parking their ego for a second, you know, about them being able to lean into the relationship, so to speak, and to seek to understand the person behaviorally, emotionally, psychologically, physically, understand them. Mm -hmm. And then see how they can coach them to a more functional place, you know, because leaders, a big part of what leaders do is a coaching element as well, right? I, I'm just thinking of how that aligns with, with how I am as a leader. And, um, you know, Chris and I were in two very different industries. And so I'm in education and he's in transportation logistics and, uh -huh. you know, working through 
the bureaucracy of leadership and then trying to figure out who we are as leaders is always a bit of a struggle. You know, in my environment, there's a lot of people that say they're servant leaders, but really lead with their ego and lead with their desire to have title. Um, And in Chris's, it's a top-down organization where it's consistently feeling like the individuals that are middle management and below are constantly getting dumped on. And so for yeah, individuals but, like uh, like us, how would you coach us? Yeah. And it's interesting, um, you know, that you've pointed out what it's like in, in each of those different industries. And still we, we are pretty much all under a patriarchal structure. Mm-hmm. And that patriarchal structure is, is around dominance, um, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's something to bear in mind. And it's interesting, you know, there's there's an apparent duality from the human perspective. There's an apparent duality in all areas of life. You know, there's day and night, yin and yang, mm-hmm. masculine, feminine. And so when we bring that conversation into leadership, you know, on the one hand, we have this idea that we want to lead with a servant's heart, which is that it's not about me. It's about you know, showing up to serve the greater good. But at the same time, on the other hand, it is all about me because I'm the leader and everyone's looking to me for some leadership. Right. So it's not about me, but it is about me at the same time. And these two apparent poles of duality not only coexist, but without each other don't exist, you know. So Mm -hmm. when I'm coaching leaders, I'm encouraging them to Make it about you in terms of your relationship with self, that do the work in terms of your self-okayness. So the more work we do on self-acceptance and self-love and self-understanding, we the more okay we are with ourselves, the less it needs to be about us, right? Because if mm. I've got a lot of noise in my mind, right, if I've got a lot of stuff going on, if I'm still hung up on things from the past, if I'm still, you know, got any sense of a lower self-esteem or self, I don't trust myself or I don't back myself, or if I have a superiority complex and I think I'm better than I actually am, right, any of this inauthenticity within my relationship with myself, that's noise. That gets in the way of me being able to serve. That gets in the way of me being present for you in a conversation because I've got so much of my own stuff going on, right? So Mm -hmm. I believe that leaders do need to do work on themselves, which is a constant practice of, you know, of nurturing an okayness with self so that when they're in communication with the people that they lead or the people that they work with, that they can get out of their own way and not make it about them. That makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking about something that you were mentioning about an individual who almost thinks that they're better than they really are. Does Mm. that actually go back to an insecurity? Because it it seems like sometimes people will overcompensate and try to overinflate themselves to make up for insecurities that they really aren't good enough underneath. Or do they really just think that they're so much better than everybody else, like that superiority complex? I think you're right. I think you've really hit on something there. I think that anyone who is living in in any degree of inauthenticity or dishonesty, right, and they might not even be aware of it, mm-hmm. but a dishonesty is when you either think that you're better than you are or when you have an inferiority complex and you think that you're not as good as you are, you know. So whenever you're out of alignment with the truth mm-hmm. and you're living this kind of lie, then perhaps it does come from an insecurity. I think maybe you're right. And when and we can 
curate, we can curate, curate or, or nurture through daily practices a sense of security in I am exactly who I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm pretty good at. I know what I'm not so good at and I'm okay with all of it. You know, then I can nice. just show up as me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was uh, starting out as a leader, when I was um, selected as a, a head of school, so we call him a principal here in the United States, but I think that in Australia you refer to him as like heads of school. Well, we, uh, yeah, no, we call them principals okay. as well. Okay, great. Yeah. So I remember that one of my mentors at the time, because I was, I was mentioning something and it was coming out, I think, negative about myself and my leadership. And she was mm. referring to it as the tape in your head like the tape in your head that you're playing over and over again, like this movie reel is messaging to you this negativity. And so you have to change the, you have to change the film reel that you're playing uh-huh. through in your head. And so it sounds like a lot of what you're mentioning is this kind of reconditioning ourselves to speak the positive. Um, but do you find that that's really hard for individuals to, if they've been living in this world of, I don't want to say self pity because that kind of diminishes the, the experience, but this um, like internal negativity that it's hard for mm. them to clip that film reel and replace it with the positivity. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. And especially if someone doesn't really want to change, um, you know, you, you've really got to have had something occur for you that is you know, horrible enough that it creates a leverage where you're like, wow, I need to change. Something's got to give because you know, I can't go, I don't want to go on like this. You know, I, I find um, using reality is really helpful, right? Because we, we can fight with reality as much as we want, but reality will always win, right? <laughs> Wake and, up call and, really, but it is. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and so when you think about it, reality tells us that as an individual, you are exactly who you're supposed to be in this moment right now. So I'm not talking about the future. I'm not talking about you know, evolving and growing and expanding and improving. If we could take a snapshot in time right now, apparently you're exactly enough of everything to be you right now because mm. there you are. Reality tells me you're exactly who you're supposed to be because there you are, you know, and you're not supposed to be more like anyone else. Why not? Because you're not. You're you. You're not meant to be anyone else, you know. And so when we come back to reality and go, well, apparently everything I've been through I should have been through, Every mistake I ever made, I should have made. Mm. And I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be right now, apparently, because here I am. So let's just accept that and get on with it, you know, and mm-hmm. look at how I can improve and, and, and make it more about what can I contribute now rather than in our younger years, it was all about who the hell am I and what is this thing called life and why do I keep messing it up, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, you know, Jem, this has been super informative in helping us understand a bit more about your coaching and your background. Where can our listeners find out more about your services and do you work with clients internationally or only in Australia? Yeah, no, definitely internationally. Um, we've, ac- we've actually uh, just built a communication for the Modern Leader online course 
uh, and students are starting to sign up for that. And I'm live in that course. I'm actually flying to LA in a few weeks uh, oh, to go and meet well, my agent. That. Yeah, yeah. I've got an agent now in the States who's going to be representing me. And uh, he's an awesome individual, Scott Miller from Franklin Covey. Ooh. I was on his podcast last week. Yeah, so that's all very exciting. That's but a people, big deal, Franklin Covey. Yeah, Good job. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, I would love it if your listeners were interested. I'd love it if they'd go and watch my TEDx talk. Um, it's a, you know, there's ideas in that talk. It's only 10 minutes long. There's ideas in that talk that I really believe are worth sharing and I'm passionate about. So if anyone just jumps onto YouTube and types my name in Jem Fuller, they'll see that talk. That'd be great. And my book, The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men. And you can get that anywhere that you buy books. Um, and yeah. was there a specific reason why you decided to focus on specifically men? Ah, yeah. Great question. I was writing the book generally um, for, for everybody and then I engaged a book writing mentor here in Australia and she said, Jam, I, I love your manuscript, it's great, um, but I think you need to pick an audience because you're writing so broadly that people may not pick it up off the shelf. And she suggested it to me. She said, you know, I think men really need some help with communication. Yeah, really? Preach. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't say here. <laughs> and I agreed. I agreed with her. You know, it's, um, I don't know about you, Chris, but I was brought up in a, in a society, in a culture where boys were told suck it up, harden up, toughen up, man up, don't cry like a girl, I used to get told. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, you yeah. Know, and I Wait, was am a, I not I was supposed a... to say that to my husband? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can say it if you want, but what happens, what happens to our boys is that they excommunicate themselves from their emotional self because they believe that to be a man they can't be vulnerable and they can't show their emotions. So they cut themselves off from their emotional self and then we wonder why we've got these men in relationships who can't go there in, in, and their, their wives or their husbands, their partners are saying, why can't you have a conversation with me and tell me how you feel? And these men are like, what do you mean how I feel? It's just bloody rubbish kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I think there's a lot of work to be done for men in, in communication. And so that's why I wrote the book for men. I think that's such a powerful gift for men to be able to help them move through their emotions and talking about their emotions. And Chris and I, have chatted about that before, how society does send these messages to men of, you know, not being as touchy feely and having to be in control and command all the time and how it can really lead to um, a lot of the negativity we've been talking about, like that negative self-talk. Cause what if I have all of these emotions and I'm a man, does that make me less of a mm. man? Does that make me um, not accepted by other men. Do people perceive me as weak? And yeah. that's just such a hard situation for men to be in. And on the yeah. flip side for women, I think that, you know, we get labeled so quickly as being hyper emotional. And so I think that mm. society in general, we need to switch our messaging to individuals around like how we're allowed to communicate our feelings yeah. and expectations to just everybody be healthy and happy and, not yeah. so afraid of being ourselves. I mean, for a lack of better terms. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, there are so many men suffer in silence, you know, with their own, you know, their own struggles, but they don't, they, they believe that they can't talk about it because that would be a sign of weakness. So they suffer in silence, mm -hmm. you know, and the male suicide rates are higher than female suicide it rates. It is? 
I had yeah. no, I had no idea. Um, Massively, yeah, and and also violence. Males are the perpetrators of ninety. I think it's ninety seven percent of the world's violence is perpetrated by males. Yeah, you look know, at the look real, at the prisons. There's more male prisons than there are women prisons. At least here, yeah. anyways. And you do you know, think that yeah. do you think that connects to our societal lack of acceptance of men being in touch with their emotions? It's all part of it. Yeah. Look, it, I, I really believe it is. And, you know, males under the patriarchy, because we're all under this patriarchal structure, like I said before, which is one of dominance, um, I need to dominate you. And that's in our in, in industry and business and government and culture and society and sport and everything. Um, and so for males, that shows up in a way that, you know, I, there's, there's two emotions. There's either, um, you know, ecstatic and happy and having a great time or really, really angry. Mm-hmm. And men kind of just flick between the two or, or just calm where they're just sitting there calm watching the TV kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, as much as it's really important and this journey of equality in terms of, um, you know, women being treated fairly – is so important, but no matter how much we empower women, if we don't empower men to evolve, for example, if our structures, if our business structures stay masculine and we put women into leadership positions, but the only way they can be successful is to get turn their masculine on and get into this patriarchal dominance thing and, you know, wear the power suit and try and beat the men at the men's game, that's futile. We need to right. change the game. The game needs to change. You know, we need to have board boardroom meetings where directors sitting around a board can actually be open and vulnerable and talk about how they feel about something rather than just the bottom line profit all the time, you know. I totally agree. And this is such an important message. And I think that you are really helping to change thought leadership around what it means to have a position of power and to lead with empathy and integrity. And we thank you Mm. so much for that gem. And so where can our listeners find out more about you and your uh, newest book and your TEDx talk and just kind of follow along on your journey? Gemfuller.com gemfuller.com and i will put a link to all of that into the show notes of this episode today so look below and there it is absolutely and so gem do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners before we close out for today well we've kind of touched on it already but really just to say to anyone who's listening you are exactly who you're supposed to be you've made it right you've made it to this moment you're not supposed to be more like anybody else you know, and, and that's beautiful and celebrate that. Absolutely. Well said, Jim. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you two are awesome. I've, I've had such an easy conversation with you. So thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Jim. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. Hey, that was great to have Jem on the show today. He was amazing coming all the way from Australia. Yeah, I really was fascinated with his conversations about communication and really about the ego. Like when he was talking about those six different components of the ego, it really made me reflect. I think I'm going to have to listen to this interview a couple of times over again because I definitely have some work to do on 
my ego and like where it shows up and where it can get a little bit too big for its britches in a relationship or at work. That's that is true. I think we all need a little ego check. Now, now <laughs> some of us need a little a bigger ego check than others. No mm. fingers being pointed in the room as we're pointing at each other. <laughs> That's right. Hint, hint. <laughs> like a clue. <laughs> yeah. But it was very enlightening. And I really appreciated how Jem took the time to just kind of break things down for us. And uh, yeah, it was just I think it was great. I also think that he hit on some really poignant areas that I think I don't want to say they triggered me, but they made me they made me think a lot more yeah. than I anticipated. Internal, maybe, think internally more like. You right. Know, like, and I think maybe that's why it felt a little bit rougher going on our date right after that, because I felt like almost like we were doing like therapy work. And so it's just I think it's important conversations to have with a partner about communication and all of that. But definitely surface some stuff that I need to work through on my own. Well, it's OK, babe. I love you the way you are. Oh, well, thank you because all your flaws, faults, and all my flaws. Hey, (laughs) you got to remember what Jem said. It's I'm exactly who I need to be, right? And I need to accept myself as I am. I need to accept you as you are. And And all my faults. Well, I'm not going to say I'm accepting you with all your faults because that's deficit mindset. I'm accepting you as you are because you're the human I fell in love with, exactly as you are. And knowing that if you want to improve on yourself, that needs to be your journey and your call. That's right. Well said. You know, I could have said it better. You yeah. know, you are you are amazing, babe. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, Chris, if people loved this episode, where can they find out more about us? Well, you always go to our master website, which uh, we created myself at. Uh, oh, <laughs> give yourself another pat on the back. Because <laughs> I'm never good at this stuff anyways. But uh-huh. yeah, it's at chrisandchristineshow.com. And you head on over there. You go, want everything you want to know about podcast about Chris Christine show and uh, podcast audio and Chris, Christine Smith designs and uh, K2 radios over there too. It's, it's like a whole world of information. It's a hodgepodge of everything. It is our master podcast network, which we have started. It's the uh, Chris Christine show network. Uh, okay. You're just making stuff up now. You're just getting too big for your britches tonight too. <laughs> I well, think so. Well, definitely check out our website. We'll have all the information about Jem and his services in the show notes. And we'll be back with you next next week. week.